Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today I wanted to continue with the topic of Monday's episode where we left off discussing the merits, I think, of a Molinist or also known as a middle knowledge view of how we might be able to reconcile eternal sinlessness in heaven and really true free will in heaven without having to compromise either and using some scripture as support for the kind of knowledge that it seems like God has in a scenario like the Molinist conception of what heaven will be like. Today, I wanted to move into not so much an objection, but more of a a clarification as to why we should think that people who have real libertarian freedom would always freely choose righteousness. It's one thing to say that God may happen to know that that's the case, but that's not a good enough answer for why we should expect people to freely make those choices. In other words, talking about God's knowledge tells us maybe what we need to know about God, but it doesn't really tell us anything about us and how it is that we could expect to freely make righteous choices forever and never once choose a rebellious or sinful choice, even when we theoretically could choose to do so in heaven. And I want to dive into that a little bit today because there are a few, I think, valid points that need to be weighed and discussed. And the the first is this idea of heaven that is sometimes by church fathers and other other writers in the Middle Ages referred to as something called the beatific vision. Now, all that really means is what it will be like when we are in the immediate and direct presence of God. And the reason that this is important when we're discussing the idea of us choosing to freely be righteous forever The question comes up is, is being in heaven and basically participating in this so-called beatific vision, is being in the direct and immediate presence of God enough to guarantee that we will always freely choose righteousness? There are some who held this position, as I said, early church fathers, uh, Aquinas, Augustine, they, they seemed to think that in the direct presence of God, every every lesser need that we may have as people will certainly be fulfilled and that we would be basically just so filled up by being with God that it's going to fulfill our deepest needs and, and on a heart level as humans. And it's going to provide us with the means and the motivation to live entirely virtuous lives in heaven. And uh, Augustine even said, virtue will finally have success 
or victory over vice once the redeemed enter the final beatitude. Again, referring to this being in the presence of God. But I want to push back on that because I, along with some scholars who have looked at these writings, I'm not convinced that that's the case. And I think we can make, uh, I think we can give some reasons for why that is. First of all, that this assumption This idea that just being in God's presence is going to snuff out sin, I think is incorrect because if we're only going to appeal to the circumstances of heaven, I think there are some obvious objections that could be made. For one, just being in better circumstances as humans does not on its face change anything fundamentally about us. After all, we can look at the ideal circumstances that Adam and Eve were in in the garden. We can even look at the idyllic circumstances that the devil himself was in in heaven. And so we can find examples where people were in the direct and immediate presence of God, and yet that alone was insufficient to prevent them from making sinful and rebellious choices. Moreover, If just being in the presence of God was enough to guarantee that we would just be sinless always, then why wouldn't God simply start there? And I think that that's a point that needs to be considered and not just hand waved away. But I really think that that is a objection that we really need to think about. If God could have done this a different way, a way that involved less suffering, less evil, so much, in fact, that we could have just started with sort of the end point of this forever and ever, amen, heaven kind of scenario, then isn't God obligated to do that? And why wouldn't he choose to do that if all other things were equal? And so I think we have good reasons for questioning whether just being in the presence of God is sufficient to guarantee eternal sinlessness, especially because we have scriptural examples that would seem to contradict this idea. So I think that there are some other factors that we need to consider that, at least on my view, would help us sort of round out how exactly we can affirm that we will be eternally sinless in heaven, and yet we'll really be free. We won't be constrained or determined in any way. And what I think is really fascinating about this is that it takes into account the objection that we just discussed, namely, why wouldn't God start with ideal circumstances if he could? I think, first of all, we can make a case based on the first three chapters of Genesis that that is exactly what God did. But once again, if God has the kind of knowledge that I think, based on some passages in scripture that we looked at on Monday, it seems like God has, then God would also know that just being in those circumstances doesn't guarantee sinlessness. God knew that Adam and Eve would rebel. He knew that the devil would rebel. None of this was a surprise to him. And so I think it's an interesting idea, at the very least, to consider that Uh, As one scholar puts it, perhaps there is some form of knowledge that is only available to those who have fallen and been redeemed. This would mark a difference between the saints and Adam, and so could explain why what they know keeps them from sin, while what Adam knew 
could not. There's a plausible candidate for what the saints know that Adam did not in his innocence. Adam never sinned. And so he did not know what it was like to feel guilt, shame, pain, separation, and other experiences which are contingent or dependent on sinning. Similarly, Adam did not know the joy of being forgiven, the humility and repentance required for reconciliation, what it is to be the recipient of mercy, and so on. That's from a book called The Free Actions of Glorified Saints. So based on that, I think it's possible that there's an experiential factor at play here that would mean that not only did God see this whole fall and need for reconciliation and redemption coming right from the start, it also means that if that is a necessary component for us to be truly free in heaven forever, that this earthly existence with all the suffering, with all the pain and the evil, is actually a necessary precursor to a eternally sinless and yet free existence in the life to come. In other words, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This isn't a throwaway. This isn't the pregame, so to speak. This is a necessary first step for free beings to go through in order to have the firsthand experience of just how bad sin and rebellion actually is. It would be like being told that a hot stove will burn you and knowing because you've touched a hot stove what it feels like to be burned. Now, in both instances, that person possesses knowledge, but one knowledge is propositional and the other is experiential. And part of my argument here is that I think we actually need experiential knowledge, not just propositional knowledge, in order to be the kind of people who will live forever in God's presence and yet freely choose never to sin. Because we understand what that's like and we understand where that road leads because we've been there. And that is altogether different from the circumstances that Adam and the devil found themselves in. So there's more I think, to what we would need in order to uh, arrive at that kind of a place. But I think the experiential knowledge is such a foundational thing. And I like it because it really does help make sense of why this life? If we didn't have to do this, why, why did God choose to do it this way? And I think part of the answer could actually be that this is the only way to do it. This is a essential piece of the puzzle to the bigger picture. I find that fascinating that the mind of God could anticipate and and prepare for just such a scenario. Only the mind of God is capable of such wisdom and foresight and sovereignty and planning. And I just think, if nothing else, this is uh, another cause for great worship and reflection on just the greatness of the God that we serve. 